The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Well, I want to talk with you today about a great rescue from the forces of evil and darkness. You just saw a trailer of a film called Into the Arms of Strangers. If you've never seen it, I'd highly recommend it. It's a documentary about the Kinder Transport. The Kinder Transport did not happen by accident. It was the vision and the dream of a 29-year-old stockbroker from London named Nicholas Winton. And in December of 1938, Nicholas Winton was all packed up. He was ready to go on a skiing vacation to the Alps in Switzerland. And he got a message from a friend of his who worked at the embassy in Prague. And, and his friend said, Nicholas, you really should cancel your trip. You need to come to Prague. You need to see what's happening to the Jews who live here. You need to see the way the Nazi empire is, is setting up a machine to destroy these people. So Nicholas Winton, he set aside his own agenda. He set aside his own plans, his own vacation, and he used his own money and resources to travel to Prague and to, to see what was happening. And as he saw what was happening, he realized he needed to get as many children out from under the Nazi empire as possible. And working together with hundreds of people and with diplomats, they, they worked out an agreement with the Nazi party. The Nazis wouldn't let any of the Jewish adults go. But they said, well, we'll let the children go for about $4,000 per kid. Now, $4,000 in 1938, I don't even know what that would be now, uh, but it's got to be closer to 100000 now. Well, Nicholas Winton gave the next months of his life to, to passionately go around raising the money, coordinating people, and altogether 10000 children were, were put onto trains in Nazi territory and were delivered to London, where 10,000 families had volunteered, yeah, you can come and live with us. You can come live with us until things get worked out with the thinking that, you know, surely someday these children will be returned to their parents. And with us being on the other side of World War II, we know their parents didn't make it. In fact, 1.5 million Jewish children didn't make it out of Nazi territory. In fact, there's a, a tragic account from the last train that was leaving Prague. It, it was loaded up. It had 250 of these kids on it, and it was the last train that was going to go to London. And, and just as it was about to leave, the SS guards walked up and said, no, this one's not going. And those 250 children were never seen again. The good news this morning is that despite the evils around us, and that's the reality of our world, we don't realize it, we don't see it, but the spiritual reality of our world is that the entire world is lost in sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And everyone on this planet is headed to an eternity that's separated from God. And God said, I've got a plan. 
I want to rescue people out of this fallen world. And so despite all the evil that we see around us, and even the evil that we don't understand that's happening around us, there's a massive rescue operation underway right now, today. And it's a rescue engineered by one of the most brilliant engineers of the universe, God himself. You see, God himself invites us to join him in seeking out and bringing home the spiritually lost. Did you know that that's why you're on earth? It's not to get the nicest house that you can get. It's not to live the most comfortable life that you can live. It's to rescue souls from the darkness of evil. That's what Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and and rescue people from captivity and sin. You might remember the story when Jesus was just starting his ministry. He was at a synagogue in Nazareth and, and he was asked to read some scripture and he opened this big old scroll of Isaiah. And he read this passage that said, I have come to set the captives free. Jesus came down into this world because all of us are held captive in sin. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And for all of us who place our faith and our trust in Christ, he sets us free from that sin. And wouldn't it be nice the moment we trust in him if he zapped us to heaven, but he doesn't because he wants us here as lights in this dark world to tell others there's a way of escape. There's a way out of the darkness. So many parallels between God's rescue and Nicholas's Winton's rescue of those Jewish children in 1938. For example, the rescue required hundreds of people to work together. Nicholas Winton had the idea, and as a young stockbroker, he had some resources, but he never could have done it alone. He needed diplomats, he needed donors, he needed families who would take these children. Hundreds of people had to work together to save these 10,000 children, and it's the same today. We, as a church family, we have resources and we have energy and and we can do things together to rescue the lost that we could never do on our own. Next, the cost seemed high at the time, right? $4,000 per child. And yet, after World War II, the cost per child seems so small. Uh, If only there could have been 10,000 more and 10,000 more, and the day is coming when we'll, we'll look back and we'll see, wow, the cost really was so small. I, I could have reached so many more. We also see a, a motivation in Nicholas Winton. That, that his primary motivation for being in the rescue, it wasn't one of guilt or shame, it was one of love and compassion. And that's the motivation God wants us to have as we seek to rescue the lost, that We're doing this because we love them, because we have compassion on them. We don't want them to die apart from God. Well, how can we, how can we do this? Let's find out in Luke chapter 15. If you'd turn with me to Luke chapter 15.
If you woke up this morning, maybe you saw just how beautiful it was outside. The sun was rising over the mountains. They're all so green right now. People are watching football games, and it's a holiday weekend. And boy, it doesn't seem like there's evil advancing in the world. But the the reality is that it is. And our enemy would love for us to be blind to that fact. He would love to numb us and lull us with the apathy of American life. He'd love for us to think this world is our home and we just be comfortable here. And then we don't rescue people away from him. But here's the reality, the problem. With each passing generation, committed followers of Christ are a smaller percentage of Americans. This is something, uh, those of you who've uh, read the book that I wrote earlier this year, I really unpack it in there, and I won't uh, bore you guys with the numbers. But, but if, you, if you look at Pew Research Center statistics of Americans who are born-again believers, who are evangelical Christians like us, you'll see that with the older generations, uh, it, it's a huge percentage of the older generations. But with every younger generation of Americans, it declines the percentage who profess to be Bible-believing Christians. And the opposite is also true. When they pull Americans and say, um, are you, you know, Buddhist? Are you Catholic? Are you a Bible-believing Christian? Are you all these other things? When they say, are you atheist? Are you agnostic? Are you what's called a nun? I don't believe anything. Those three categories are are like double-digit increasing with every younger generation. So, for example, the oldest generation... About for every Bible-believing Christian, there's three Bible-believing Christians for every one atheist. For my generation, it's the opposite. There's one of me for three atheists, and then there's two agnostics, and then there's a nun. Okay, Uh, we can look around and we say, well, there's all these church buildings. There's all this is great. Okay, yeah, but if we look at the people, that's all that matters is people. Everything else on this earth is going to burn up except for people and the word of God. And if we look at people in America, we are losing every incoming generation. We lose more and more of them. So it's time that we get on our knees before God and and pray for him to change our hearts so that we can be his presence and reach the lost. Two facts for you. First, the typical church believer will die without leading a single person to a life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And by typical, it's 95%. For every hundred of us in here, 95 will die without having ever led someone else to the freedom and the joy and the life that we have in Christ. Barna also found this, at any given time, a majority of believers do not have someone in mind who they're praying for to become saved. Do you have anyone that you're praying for to come to know the Lord? Well, here at Cornerstone this month, we have some unprecedented rescue operations. And maybe you think, well, I, uh, I don't know how to go up to someone and, and tell them about Jesus and quote verses and pray with them. Well, we can train you to do that. We'd love to. But also, this month, you've got two incredible opportunities to pretty much say, hey, here's Here's a train, you know, come, come on a train ride with me. Come, come eat some food and hang out, out on the grass. We're, we're going to have a good time. And I promise as you invite friends, coworkers, neighbors, relatives 
that I won't embarrass you with what I say. I mean, I'll do my best. I, I should say I can promise that I'll do my best, okay? <laughs> I might embarrass you just by the way I look or something, but I will do my best to give the gospel in a, a really, uh, just a, a really spirit-led, loving but truthful way. Well, how do we... How do we move from where I am, which is most mornings I wake up and my heart is apathetic and I'm tired and I'm, I'm a grumpy waker-upper and um, I don't really care about all the people in my neighborhood who are on their way to hell most mornings. You don't either if you're honest, right? How do we get from there to where God wants us to be? Let's look in Luke chapter 15. The solution is that we adopt God's heart for the lost. The solution is not just that we, that we work harder and try to be better. The reality is we can't be good enough in our strength. We need God's heart in us. We need his heartbeat for the lost. Here's the very first thing we see in Luke 15. Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners in order to reach them. So like I said earlier, please invite all the sinners that you know to come and eat with us and welcome them and we will hug them and we will tell them that Jesus loves them. That's how Luke 15 starts in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's Jesus. He's, he's kind of a rising star of a teacher, a little bit of a, a celebrity rabbi at the time. All these people are talking about him because he's doing these miracles and he's saying these incredible things. Here's these other teachers who are kind of jealous, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, other rabbis, and, and they all work so hard to never do anything wrong and to, to stay separated from people who do. And then here's this new popular teacher and he's pretty much having a party with all these prostitutes and all these sinners. And, and they look at him and they say, this man, he welcomes sinners. What is, what is the deal? Well, Jesus is going to answer them by telling three stories. First, he's going to tell the story of a lost sheep, a shepherd who, who counts his sheep one day and realizes one is gone. And then the story of a lost coin, a woman who had 10 silver coins and lost one of them. And then a story you probably know of the prodigal son who ran away from his father. And in all three of these stories, Jesus is communicating to us the heart of the heavenly father for those who are lost and far from him. Here's the first thing we see in these three stories. God is radical and tireless in searching for the lost. We could almost get that from verses 1 and 2, right? That Jesus is eating with these sinners because here's holy God who has existed in the, the ecstasy and joy and thrill of paradise, of heaven for eternity. And when humanity, if you read Genesis, God said, here's the earth, you guys take care of it. It's full of organic fruit and organic vegetables and there's no weeds it's a perfect planet. You'll never die. Everything's great. And he says, if you read Genesis 1 through 3, it's yours to take care of. And what did we do with it, the first humans? 
Well, they invited evil into it. And evil set off this spiritual atomic reaction and this contamination that has spread through human history of evil and sin. And as a result, we have death. As a result, we have war. As a result, we have sickness and cancer and dying and disease and pain and rape and murder. All of this came about because of the choices of our own ancestors. And now we're born into a place that is spiritually sinful and polluted. And here's this holy God. And he decides, Philippians 2 says, to humble himself, to take upon him the form of a man, to come down into our blood and dirt and filth and evil. Why? To restore us back to him. To to make a way so that everyone who wants to be back in relationship with God can be and can for eternity, enjoy that ecstasy and joy of being in the presence of the creator of the universe with no sin, with no contamination. God is radical and tireless in searching for the lost. We see this in Jesus himself. We also see it in verse four. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. Does he go after it until he gets tired? Does he go after it until, he, until it gets difficult? No, he keeps going after that lost sheep until he finds it. I don't know if you've ever been radical or tireless in searching for something. Perhaps searching for your car keys when you're, you're running late and you go to run to the car and you realize you don't know where the keys are. Or maybe you've searched tirelessly for, maybe for the title of a car. Maybe it comes time to sell a car and you're like, well, where did I put that title? I know most of you are so organized that would never happen to you. But have you ever searched tirelessly for something? I've told some of you the story when I was six or seven of being uh, lost by my family at Disney World in Florida. And... You know, parents, the more kids you have, the more likely you are to lose one. And that's okay. You know, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. I'm the youngest of four. One of my brothers once got left somewhere too. So that happens. The question is, when you get home and realize you're one kid short, <laughs> do you then go search for your lost child? I, ho- I hope so. That's not okay if you don't search for your lost child child. And that's the way Jesus says, that's the heart of the father. He's got lost sons and daughters. And and he says, "I, I will search for them until I find them. Imagine this shepherd, you know, he's out. By the way, a shepherd and his sheep then was not the same as now. You know, he wasn't driving a Dodge dually pickup and sleeping in a house, you know. He, a a, a shepherd then, his sheep were his most valuable possessions. All his life savings, trotting around on 400 legs for this guy, 100 sheep. And so, you know, I mean, this is, this sheep, their wool, their offspring, their milk, their meat, everything about them is his livelihood. They're his most valuable possessions. So apparently one night he can't sleep, so he's counting his sheep, right? Ha, I know, okay. All right, thank you. 
little corny, little corny joke for you guys, okay? But he, so he counts them, and he gets to 99, and, and, and that's it. So I imagine, you know, messy herd, sheep moving around, he probably kind of reorders them, counts again, counts again, 99, 99. I'm missing a sheep. And then Jesus says this in the second half of verse 4, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? This is a radical, tireless, I will go to any lengths to find you love. And that's the heart of your heavenly father. That's his heart for your loved one who you're praying for. He loves them as much as you do. He loves them more than you do. And he's searching for them. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 10, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And if we as a church are his body, and he is our head, and he's telling us what to do as his little body parts, what are we going to be doing? Seeking and saving those who are lost. This is so important for us as a church. It's so easy especially for those of us who've known the Lord for a long time, we start to enjoy the benefits of being free from sin. You know, truly, when you follow Christ, it makes you a better employee. It makes you better financially. It makes you a better husband or wife. It makes you better. It's so many things that you could never do on your own. And so it's easy to start thinking, this thing's working out pretty well. And church is all about me and making my life better so easy to fall into and then we lose this heart of God that we're here to seek and to save the lost. So if you know Christ and you've walked with him for years, my hope and prayer is that at Cornerstone you will be equipped and you will be edified. And every week when we look in the word of God, it'll open up your heart and you'll say, wow, God, there's the beat of your heart. Mine's a little off. God, align me with your word. But Lord, protect us from ever becoming a church where we all can quote all this scripture and we know all this knowledge about the Bible, but our hearts don't beat in time with God's. And part of that is, you know what? If you've known Christ for a long time, absolutely every day you should be growing as you're in God's word and and as you're in a community group, as you're hanging out with other believers. But it's not all about us. Jesus left us on this earth to seek and to save the lost. And as long as we as a church say, Jesus, you're the head, we want your heart, we want to be your hands and feet, then we're going to be a church that is passionate, yes, about making disciples and growing us, but just as passionate about reaching the lost. Jesus says the same thing in verse 8, this tireless pursuit. Here's this gal who loses these 10 coins. And by the way, these were not like quarters or nickels or dimes. These weren't even like $100 bills. Uh, In Palestine at this time, it was really common as a marriage engagement for the groom to give to the bride 10 silver coins. So Jesus says, this is a woman with 10 silver coins. Okay, these are probably like wedding ring type coins. And one day she gets them out to look at them because these have great financial value, but probably even greater sentimental and emotional value, right? These are like wedding rings, and she gets them out, and, and there's one of them is missing. So verse 8, what does she do? Jesus says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully 
until she finds it. She doesn't search a little bit and then give up. And notice this is a radical searching, you know. She's, she's moving furniture. She's, you know, she's sweeping out understuff. If she's got rugs, she's picking up rugs. She's looking everywhere. And that leads us to our next point. God's love for the lost is unquenchable. Doesn't give up after waiting or working for years. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God didn't give up on me, turning my heart to him. I'm so thankful that he didn't give up on you. And the reality is your life, nothing about it is an accident. Psalm 139 says that Almighty God, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that after you're saved by grace through faith, not by what you've done, that God saves you because then he has designed a path of specific good works for you to walk in. You know what that means? That means every one of your coworkers, every one of your relatives, every one of your neighbors, they have been strategically placed by Almighty God because he is seeking them and he wants to save them. And he said, I'll put him I'll have him work there because he'll, he'll tell them about me. I'll put her in that family where she's going to feel like an outcast because she trusted me, but I've got her there because I want to save that whole family. So, so don't give up on praying for those loved ones. Don't give up on praying for those neighbors. God never gives up. And, and when we... When we run out of our own strength. We, we simply go to him and say, God, I'm, I'm done. I don't know how many more times I can pray for this person. Would you help me? Would you give me your heart? And he will. And he'll work through those prayers and he'll work through you. He's unquenchable. He doesn't give up. He came to seek and to save the lost and he never gets tired of saving the lost. Think back to December of 1938 and 1939 when Nicholas Winton gave up that ski vacation. What a parallel that is to today. So many in America and in Great Britain at that time, hey, you know, we're just getting over the Great Depression here, okay? We're just trying to make ends meet. We're just trying to get back on our feet, And they were so, if they had known what was going to happen, what pursuits of self and vacation homes and careers and promotions would they have set aside to rescue more children, more people? And, you know, there's this parable Jesus tells where he says, he likens your heart to the soil and the ground and the word of God to a seed in it. And, and, and this, there's this soil where the, the seed takes root and it looks like it's really going to bear a bunch of fruit and then it gets choked out. And Jesus says, do you know what chokes out the word of God in your heart? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Haven't you experienced that? I experience it every day. 
the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke out, they strangle the supernatural work that God wants to do in us. And only you can choose to say, Jesus, you said in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. Jesus, I'm not going to let the cares of this world overcome me. I'm not going to spend my whole weekend consumed with the cares of this world. Because if I spend every weekend consumed with it, I'm going to spend my life consumed with it. I saw this statistic the other day. If you, five minutes per hour, if you're more efficient for five minutes of every hour, if you do something for five minutes of every hour, the statistics said by the end of the year, you'd have like 20 some days of productivity. And it got me thinking about social media for those of us who are on it. How many five minute blocks of time do I waste on there? Is there, is there anything wrong with that? No. Is there anything wrong with the cares of this world? No, they're not morally evil things. But no one else is looking out for the health of your soul spiritually. No one else is. It's just you. So just like eating food, no one else is going to monitor it but you. And when we let the cares of this world, just the busyness of this life, we don't discipline ourselves to say, hey, I need some Sabbath rest. I need time alone with God. If we don't do that, then the cares of this world, they choke out everything else and, and we lose the heart of God. I'm going to trip on this thing soon. God's heart is that he never gives up on the lost. Look down at verse 29. We see the prodigal son, his, his older brother, who never did run away. And that's kind of us, right? Now that we've come back to God, easy for us to become the older brother. And, and God, Lord, protect us. Don't let us ever think that we're better than any perverse sinner out there. Such for some of you. Such for all of us. Paul, who most of us consider the greatest Christian who ever lived, who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Why? Because the closer we get to God's heart and his holiness, the more we see, wow, my heart was so twisted before Christ. And in me, there's still this civil war. I am so deeply selfish that no one could even understand it. But God is so selfless. And and the closer you get to him, you realize there's no sinner out there who's any different from me in their heart of hearts. But here's this older brother. He thought he was a lot better. Verse 29, he answers his father and he says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And I just want to point out that word years. Because it tells us that this prodigal son who ran away, he wasn't just gone for a few days or weeks or months. He was gone for years. And when the prodigal son ran away, Here's what he said to his father by his actions. He said, dad, you're better off to me dead. I would rather have you die so that I can get my inheritance and spend it on myself than know you as you grow old. And so his dad says, okay, here's your inheritance. And the son takes off. And scripture says that's what all of us have done in our hearts. All we like sheep have gone astray. God who's given to us sunlight and warmth and family and food and water and nourishment. We say, God, I just want your good gifts and nothing to do with you. That's what we're all born into. 
but he never tires of searching for us, of waiting expectantly for us to come home. And for those of us who have come home, don't ever let your heart think, oh, I'm such a good, I'm such a good Christian. All those other people. No, it is by the grace of God that we've been saved, not by anything we've done. And now we're here to tell everyone else the good news of this impossibly generous grace available to all who will call on the name of Jesus. Look at verse 20. When this prodigal returns home, we're told, while he was still a long way off. So I always picture the, you know, the, the father's not sitting in his lazy boy in his living room. Somehow, when the son is a long ways off, the father sees him. You know, they, they've probably got property at this point. They're probably farmers of some sort. And the dad's out there, and it's almost like every day while he's out in the fields or out with the livestock, he's looking down the road is my son coming home today? And that's your heavenly father's heart. If you haven't come home yet, he, he's standing there saying, are, are you going to come home today? Are you going to turn to me? And there's, there's people you know that every day God's saying, are they going to come back? I'm, I'm just waiting. And he's put you in their life so you can put your arm around them and just say, hey, you know, life's crazy. I just want you to know I care about you. If you want to come and if you need some hope, if you need anything, you let me know. And he's going to use you to steer them to him. Next we see this. God throws a celebration party when the lost are found. When the lost are found, there is literal celebrating in heaven. Back in verse 20, it says that when the father sees this son returning, he's filled with compassion and he runs to the son Picture that. This is God running, throwing his arms up for a big old hug. God crying tears of joy, hugging and kissing this son who has come home. And we see the same theme of celebration. Look at verses five and seven. When he, the shepherd, finds that sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. No more walking on your own legs. He goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Let's have a party. I found my lost sheep. Skip to verse nine. We see the same celebration. When she finds it, her lost coin, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, verse 10, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think about it. There's, what, seven billion people on earth now? There's constant news. There's constant births, constant deaths, constant car accidents, all these things going on around the planet. Heaven kind of cruises along in the joy and ecstasy of God's presence. Not much that happens down here shakes heaven. But when one four-year-old in treehouse prays and says, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to be my savior. At that moment, heaven erupts, erupts in celebration. 
And if you know anything about angels, if you've read Isaiah 6 or if you've read the book of Revelation, angels are not these little hallmark, you know, uh, precious moments figurines, you know. Angels are, are muscular. They've got wings. They, they fly. They shake things. These are powerful beings. And look at the rest of God's creation. Look at the animals. Look at us. Do we all look the same? No. So if the same God made those, this is just John's opinion, but they probably... Every angel is just its own unique, beautiful creature. And we know from Isaiah 6, there's different kinds of angels. And they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then suddenly, Jesus says, a child or a retiree or a middle-aged mom cries out to Jesus for salvation. And the entire place erupts in celebration. And Jesus says, this is the heartbeat of the Father, to seek and to save the lost. We see it again in verses 22 through 24, when the Father throws a feast for his son who's come home. Well, how do we move from where we wake up many mornings to there? Could do a whole other message on that, and I won't for you guys, okay? But I'll just give you a few things. First, just ask God for his heart. God, I want to have your heart. That's why Jesus was always sneaking away to pray to the Father. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. We wake up and we look for breakfast. Jesus woke up and he looked for, what does the Father have for me today? God, I want to, today, I just want to live your plan for my life. Whatever it means, wherever it takes me. And and as you pray that, he's going to give you his heart for the lost. Also, I mean, off the cuff, you know, once he has freed us from sin, when we let ongoing unconfessed sin be in our life, pornography, greed, lust, discontentment, jealousy, gossiping, whatever it is, you can't lose your salvation because you didn't buy it. Jesus did. But... You can lose the power of God in your life by letting those sins just fester and corrode. It's like the drain in my bathroom sink right now. I don't know what's in that thing, but (laughs) something's down there. It's corroded. And God's power is just waiting at the top to get down into your life. Maybe maybe there's some corrosion in there and you say, God, I I need your heart. And that means I got to It turned from some of these other things so that your power can come into my life again. And that's ultimately how we be Jesus to the lost is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Our efforts alone cannot make disciples, but the Holy Spirit empowers our obedience so that God can make disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus has already given the great commission. That's how we started this message. Therefore, go make disciples. Here are the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Have they made any disciples yet? No. They're struggling, okay? They're they're having a hard time. So God gives them this message in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. When will this power come into your lives? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it's because of that power that you'll be my witnesses in Prescott, in all of Yavapai County, in Arizona, and to the ends of the earth. That's that's what was being said there. Jerusalem was their prescott. 
And when you place your faith in Christ as your Savior, that same Holy Spirit comes into your life, and He now is empowering you. You think, I could never, I could never invite someone to a church thing. I could never tell them about Jesus. That's probably true. But the Holy Spirit can, and He lives inside of you. And if you say, God, I want to be surrendered to you, I want to watch you move through me to do things I could never do on my own, will you empower me to invite my neighbor? Will you give me confidence that I'm not inviting them to some boring church thing? I'm inviting them to get on the train out of Nazi Germany. Just, Lord, help me see it your way. Give me your words. Give me your strength. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of God. We can't join God's rescue without his spirit. So let me close by having you think about Nicholas Winton and his legacy. Here's a picture of Nicholas with just a few of the 10,000 children that he got onto those trains. Here's another picture with just a few of their grandchildren. And here's what I wonder for us. And again, I, you know, I don't think guilt and shame are supposed to be our motivation. We, we, want, we want to love the people of this world the way that Nicholas Winton loved those kiddos, the way that Jesus loves this world. And here's my question. When you're in heaven and you're looking at those crazy angels and you're like, wow, John was right. I thought he was off his rocker, but these things are weird. Okay. Who's going to be there because of you? What's your legacy going to be spiritually? And this is why God brings us together as a church, because together we can have a bigger legacy. We can reach more people than we ever could on our own. Nicholas Winton could have gotten on a train himself and gone over there and maybe you know, brought a couple kids back if he was lucky, but he worked together. We worked together as the body of Christ with the beating heart of Christ at our center and he's going to give us a legacy like this in heaven. So three ways right now that you can join the rescue. If you've been taking notes, you'll see they're right there on your outline, and you could maybe even circle the one. Is there someone that the Holy Spirit's been prompting you through this message? Just invite them to gather on the grass. I know it seems unlikely, the more sinful they are, the better. Really. But whoever they are, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, they're separated from God by their sin. Will you join the rescue very, very simply by inviting? Same thing for September 22nd. Maybe you invite them and you go and invite them and say, oh, I'm going to be out of town. Well, that's okay. Got something else for you here. Will you pray about that? Will you join the rescue? Lastly, will you pray for the rescue? Scripture says no one comes to salvation unless the Father draws them. The Holy Spirit has to convict. He has to work in their hearts. We get to be part of that by praying for it. Close with a story about Albert McMacken. Albert McMacken was not a wealthy guy. He was a farmhand. Didn't have a lot of resources. 
was not a gifted communicator, but he sure loved Jesus. And Albert McMacken, the farm he worked at, there was a 16-year-old boy there. And Albert, he tried to talk to him about Jesus, but he could just never quite get it out right. And so this evangelist came to town and he, he, he told this 16-year-old boy, hey, you should come hear this evangelist speak. 16-year-old boy said, no, nah, I'm not into that stuff. Well, Albert McMacken had this old pickup truck that this kid really wanted to drive. Albert McMacken was so set on getting this kid to hear the gospel that he said, I will let you drive my truck if you'll come with me. So Billy Graham said, okay, I'll go with you. You know how many people Albert McMacken's going to have around him in heaven? He's going to have his own party going on. And you might think, well, I'm, you know, who am I? You're part of the body of Christ. That's who you are. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That's who you are. So, so let's get out there. Let's invite some Billy Grahams. Let's get out there. Let's rescue some children. Would you stand and pray together with me? Father, we are your people called by your name. Lord, we thank you so much that when we were lost in our sin, that you sought us out, that you never gave up on us, that you searched until you found me. Lord, right now, there's some people in this room and you're searching for them. And if you're here and, and you've never called out to Jesus as your Savior, God's waiting at the end of that country road for you. He's saying, come, come on home, son. Come on home, daughter. I've been waiting for you. Today's the day of salvation. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to give money you don't have to go on a mission trip. You don't have to do anything other than get on your knees before God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to be my savior. Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to be free from sin. You can pray that right now. For those of us who've prayed that and we're living these busy American lives and we, you love Jesus. I know you love him. You wouldn't be here if you're not. But if you're like me, the cares of this world, they creep up on you. We lose our perspectives. And, and God, we come to you together. And we say, Lord, we want our hearts to beat with yours. Would you make us people who live to seek and to find those who are lost? Would you make us people who wake up and are are our most important thing for the day is to say, Father, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to, to serve? Holy Spirit, you empower us to be the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray you're empowering on every man and woman in this room, wherever there's any kind of sin, Lord, if there's anything in my life that is blocking the work of your Holy Spirit, I give that to you. And we pray as a people 
that we'd be men and women who are full of your presence and that it flows out of us into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our family get-togethers. God, there's a dark evil in this world. You see it more than we do and you've placed us here as light in the darkness. Lord, would you use us one week from today that we'd, we'd come in with our arms around dozens and hundreds of people who you are seeking and longing to save. And Holy Spirit, we pray one week from today that you would work in their hearts as only you can. Lord, we can do no good thing apart from you. So Lord, bless September 8th, bless September 22nd, that you would bear fruit, that you would save souls. And Lord, give us strength to seek first your kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.